0: My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Masters Toolkit Podcast. Today's episode is a Halloween special talking about all things spooky and how to run a fun holiday game. Welcome, everybody. Today I have Joe, creator of Children with Wands. Welcome, Joe.
1: Hi, well, thank you.
0: Joe was on before episode one, our very first interview, but you just want to give everybody a little bit about how you got into TTRPGs?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I started uh, about 17, 18 years ago at this point. I was playing mostly the Star Wars TTRPG Star Wars Revised in college, and I, I kind of cut my teeth on that and learned how to play there and it actually took me about seven to eight years before I finally started playing Dungeons and Dragons. I had played a lot of other games in between here and there, and I've just been playing and writing and just having a ton of fun since then. I, I I've been a game master for most of that time. Had a little bit of a hiatus, as, as I mentioned the first episode, where I completely burned out on on murder hobos, but came back to the hobby strong and have just kind of learned a lot of lessons there. And my, my bit of sage advice that I tend to try to give people is to play under as many different GMs as possible. Barring that, listen to the advice as many different GMs as possible, which is why I really enjoy this podcast. Well, thank you.
0: And today's episode, I wanted to talk about Halloween and all things spooky. So, I hear that you have some experience running Halloween-themed games.
1: So, so Halloween and holiday-themed games in general, I have. I tend to really like. I tend to like a theme, and and my games tend to be very strongly themed. Whenever I try and put together a game, and Halloween is just a really fun one to play with. I'm trying to think, some of the the just fun Halloween games I've put together, I, I know one I talked about in your previous game, or the previous interview was about a, a haunted carnival that players got sucked into that slowly was sucking out their souls, and the only way they could figure it out was to short out the magic, which then caused someone else's soul to become fused with theirs, and they immediately gained a level in another class, and as they leveled up that class, that, class, that personality began to take over, and it's just like, yeah, that, that was a fun little... Halloweeny twisty thing that you could, that I threw into one of my games. I was trying to think what other Halloween games specifically, one that I'm really excited for uh, with, with my upcoming game, Children with Wands, I have one of the, the pre-written adventure that I'm going to come, that's going to come bundled with the game is actually Halloween themed which is a lot of fun. I, I ran a, a beta test for this. Brock didn't get to participate, but he did get to kind of listen in. I, I, I've changed it a bit. I, I've added a bit more. There's now a spooky haunted doll that's not really spooky. Oh no, spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, so trying to think of where, where where would we wanna start talking about Halloween game?
0: How do you go about kind of designing and, and sticking to your theme when you're coming up with a session?
1: Okay, so I try to come up I try and think about what the players are going through, kind of what I want to talk about in the session or, or kind of what, what we want to deal with. And then I, I come up with a, like a central idea and then I build out from there. If I was doing this on paper, I, it would be the, you know, you draw a circle, you write what your idea is, and then you kind of come up with the little branching off points that you like a brainstorming map, except I seldom actually write this down because I am bad at taking notes. <laughs> but. And just kind of try and think about, like, well, what do I want to say in this game? And then what mechanics can I come up with to put onto a monster, an encounter, a puzzle, or something like that, that deals with those kind of mechanics? So a recent game I ran with Derek, who's on a few of these podcasts, he's one of my friends, was, it was going to be a kind of fun, this wasn't Halloween-themed, but it was very much monster-themed where it was going to be a mostly improvised game where the players were like Victorian era things. I I had just watched Bridgerton and I wanted to do Bridgerton meets Cthulhu was kind of the idea of the game of just having this D20 modern game where the players were two young men trying to like, you know, infiltrate upper society. And just the idea of going into something like that, into an upper society, I was like okay there's something there of just like there's already going to be some alien things that like you're not gonna know all of the customs you're not gonna know any of these things so if something strange happens you're just gonna write it off initially as, oh that's just something being weird or this is just something like that and then you can you know layer things on top of that kind of have things escalate escalate and escalate and getting weirder and weirder and weirder and it turns out that all of the aristocracy at this big foreign party had been controlled by some giant plant creature that was whose was a heart was at the center of the mansion that they never actually got to because they burned the mansion now
0: <laughs> that's that's one way to solve your problems
1: <laughs> i mean it certainly is and and that one I had a lot of fun with because it was it was okay, the the kind of theme was being in a place you're not familiar with and kind of the the strangeness that goes along with that. And then I kind of just layered on top of that, like, okay, so we're going to add in like a horrible alien plant monster thing, but just how we can have little subtle things. Like the fact that I had kind of taken a a bit of history where it was the people putting on the, the black dot on their face, along with a lot of face paint, it was like, okay, I'm going to have that. The dot's going to be on the other side of the face, however. And that is kind of an indication that you are in this cult. And the players just kind of saw that and emulated that and use that as a way to sort of ingratiate themselves, get invited away to this fun country manor to flirt with all of the beautiful women who were there, but then you know, have things elate in a kind of an unsettling way. And eventually, you know, it culminated with them stealing horses and having to run away from this plant that was jutting giant tentacles or, well, not plants don't have tentacles, root tentacle thingies uh, out of the ground trying to grapple them as they're, like, stampeding away and as any of the people that they you know had come across with who had been infected you know turned from human into this horrible plant creature and they start chasing them it's like okay this this was a lot of fun this was a good a setup and a good execution on the theme
0: and to take a step back when you're planning one of these sessions is this something where you would plan the session for a long long long-term campaign or would this just be a kind of enclosed one shot
1: so i have i have at this point stopped trying to write i mean i still write and do long-term games but like i have stopped trying to write more than three sessions ahead of where the players are going to go i'll have outline at this point and, and th- those will occasionally actually have notes on and man i i use the internal note taking that roll 20 gives you a lot i have found that terribly helpful because then everything is in one place and i can just check like here are all the important npcs that you know i know and and can keep track of but i i Too many times I've seen where I thought things were going to go completely go off the rails where I still run longer games. I I ran one for Derek and a few other friends. I would say recently, but like time has become irrelevant with the pandemic. And (laughs) I do not know how long ago that actually was. Longer than I would like to admit. But that the, the theme in that one, not to get political, but was screw fascism (laughs) and it was about two fascist basically organizations trying to take over this one consistent area and the players would act and then the factions would act and react to what was going on so i kind of knew where i wanted to lead the campaign but like i did i had no idea how i was going to get there and i just sort of I never had more than three sessions ahead of time because I didn't know what the players were going to do. For all I knew, they were going to stroll up and try and take on the main ball just at any given time. And I had to be ready in case they actually managed to kill General Max or Rognus the Destroyer.
0: So when you get to you know, Halloween or whatever, do you just drop that to like, you're going along, you've got, you know, a couple sessions ish planned and Halloween's going to fall on one of the upcoming ones. And you just take whatever session is closest to Halloween, turn that into kind of a more spooky than normal session.
1: I, I, I love doing that. I don't always, I don't always succeed at doing that, but I always try. And because like, When you're building something like this, you can always just like if if you're like, hey, guys, I want to do something kind of spooky for Halloween. The players will usually just go along with you with that. One thing I've had a lot of success with is and I've actually did a, a short animatic on my YouTube channel is out of continuity games. And this works really well if you want to just like take your existing party and throw them into like a spooky horror scenario session sort of thing where the basic rules for when i run an out of continuity game you get to keep any loot experience cool items or anything that you find so long as you survive the session if you do if if you don't survive the session or no one survives the session it's this this encounter maybe didn't happen maybe it did and if you guys do survive the session, find a way to sort of weave it into your story. If, t- tell me when it happened. And that, that, that's just a way that, like, I don't know, you're, you're going off on like some grand epic quest. And it's like, okay, no, this week is going to be about you guys getting beset by zombies and having to fight for survival and figure out how you're going. It, basically, it, you can just transport the party into a survival horror game for something like that.
0: Right, even if it doesn't necessarily make sense in the current Uh,
1: climate of
0: whatever you're doing, right?
1: Because, again, so long as you... One of the lessons I've I've super learned with the party is be upfront with what you're planning with them. My God, so many wasted times where I was like running mysteries or something like that, and the players just didn't know I was trying to run a mystery. And it was just like, oh, but if I told them, that would ruin the surprise. It's like, no, it wouldn't. (laughs) No, it wouldn't, Joe. They would just be in the right headspace to try and solve a mystery
0: right. It's it's mystery versus beat up versus social, <laughs> you know,
1: that that was the thing is that a lot of people like i would early on in my gming experiences i was creating these elaborate conspiracy mysteries my players were showing up and just beating up everyone and then leaving (laughs) and i'm like well i guess i have to let this succeed if i want the story to continue and it's it was before i was like no you don't joe they they just now have to deal with the consequences of them beating some beating everyone up just deal with it
0: i like what you mentioned about the out of continuity games where you kind of can do almost like a one-shot existing with an existing party but then like the consequences of if they all die then well you just everybody wakes up and you had a bad nightmare you know yeah, and it, you're fine it, right
1: that sort of thing it works really well especially if you're just using it as, as a framing device because like a lot of people do really like taking their characters off on weird things like a lot of times you'll have these, I don't know, really when I play video games, I love the side quests probably a lo- often more than I like the main quest because it's like, okay, I've gotten to take this character that I've either built or played with on all of these like main important missions. And I get to kind of like take those abilities and experiment with them and play with them and, 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 and it's not just like, oh, well, this is the thing I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel like that's something I really enjoy doing with like little one shot, the out of continuity games, because it's like people can really play with that. And you can learn a lot about your character if you're throwing them into a situation that like, you would never put your players into this situation in the main game because it wouldn't be fair or like, you don't, i'm of the opinion if you have a total party kill like you as the gm have probably done something to screw up a bit either not properly not properly telegraphing what you're doing or something like that now obviously sometimes players are just you know player characters and they're dumb and they do crazy awful things and get themselves into trouble but it's sometimes really fun to throw players into a situation that is a hundred percent not fair and just see how they solve it i mean that that's the entire point of paranoia if you've ever had a chance to play that one i haven't
0: oh, talk. talk.
1: Um, it, it is a really fun game i i would explain more about the rules but as part of the rules i haven't actually read them it, okay it's a brilliant game the idea is the players are never supposed to a hundred percent have a grasp on how the rules actually work and if the players start to figure those out you're supposed to change the rules It's Ah. based off of, like, an Orwellian kind of nightmare 1984 scenario where you're being judged and ruled over by a friend computer who will occasionally just murder you because, you know, you either did not a good job or too good of a job. Or if you've, you know, maybe were a dirty rotten traitor.
0: Makes a little bit of sense, anyways.
1: Oh, that—that that is as much context as you should have going into paranoia. Only <laughs> in that game you have a, a number of clones, so your character will die, and then you'll immediately come back in, just short one clone. Sure. That—that that is a very good game for Halloween <laughs> because you can throw players into deeply unfair and very scary situations, and. You know it's okay if they die because they just come back
0: the the unfair situations you mentioned zombies i can completely see where you want to you know i want to do a survival horror zombie game for halloween but like if you have a tpk because the town gets overrun with zombies then like your story's done so having those non-consequences essentially for that session would allow you to do something like that you know you would never spring on them mid campaign
1: oh yeah exactly and part of it also is when you're doing stuff like that it is very good practice for gms to actually then start putting situations that are more like that in your main game and learning to deal with the consequences of you putting your players into situations and it's like oh well what would have actually happened if they had tpk'd here how could I have continued if that had happened? I don't know. It, it, it gets into a very interesting place about like how fair RG should actually be. I, I think that's a really interesting discussion.
0: You mentioned how the players can kind of explore their kind of the character, maybe the power set or the, the move set that they have available to them. With what you're saying here, it also sounds like a good chance for the DM to, like you said, explore how how far can you push you know, combat encounters or social encounters, how deadly can you make things without, you know, you can push that lever pretty far. And if something happens, then it's not, you know, really a huge deal, right?
1: So it ends up being really fun just in those situations because, like, 5e has a lot of survivability. And, like, I know I tend to be oftentimes a very gentle DM who doesn't push things too far, but. Yeah. And these one shots taking all of the things off, it's like, all right, yeah, no, I'm, if you guys die, you die and it's fine. And like, that was something I, I for a long time struggled with as a GM of, that I didn't want to see the party fail because that meant that kind of made it feel like I was failing, but getting to kind of experiment in that kind of space where if the party succeeds, they succeed. If they fail, they fail. And it was their own problem. It is a really good space to be in and it's a good chance to just experiment with that and that was actually I would not have been able to write Children with Wands if I didn't have that experience with letting the players set up and completely fail. One of my favorite one-shots is I believe I talked about this in the first episode and Median Res it's a Call of Cthulhu one-shot and It is entirely possible that the party is going to wipe within like 20 minutes of the encounter. It it can potentially be deadly, depending upon how the players act and everything like that. Like the game starts with one of the players having a gun and the other players not having a gun and no one trusting each other. Things can go very bad very quickly.
0: (laughs) With that kind of pushing the lever farther as a DM, do you find that when those consequences of a total party kill kind of come up a little bit, Do you find that the players tend to play a little bit more like aggressively or a little less safe?
1: I I haven't noticed a huge change. I've seen sometimes the players just kind of like are a little happier when there are when there seem to be stakes. Sometimes it just means that like I don't know. Sometimes it seems like they try and not even think things through more, but feel like they have to make smart decisions. And that kind of pushes them to make smarter decisions that makes sense
0: sure yeah do you tend to do a lot of homebrew for these types of games
1: almost exclusively like i i have copies of the monster or i have a copy of the monster manual for 5e i have most of the monster manuals for a 3.5 and i read them and i i think they're really fun and i think they're good reads and there are some really interesting and fun monsters in there but like i feel like a lot of them don't push things far enough like, I don't know, I, I I want my monster, when I make a monster, I want it to have fun mechanics that the players have to, like, figure out and work through and work around. I, I recently ran a one-shot, and it, it was one of the Candle Deep mysteries that I was reading through and it's like oh this seems neat and I'm like oh I'm changing a ton of this I I I, I, I I'm, I'm trying out modules and I found that I like them as a structure but then I really like to go in and start messing with the levers and everything like for example it was one of the level five encounters and part of it was you got this book that was possessed by the spirit of this dead woman and every time you said her name while you had the book her, her ghost would come out And, like, you could get the information you needed to, and then you were supposed to leave that book behind. And I'm like, there's no way I'm letting them leave that book behind. What an absolutely fun thing that every time they say Sarah, a ghost comes out. Think of how much fun the players could have with that. But I ended up creating this because, like, it was... The ending thing was uh, spoilers for one of the Candle Deep Mysteries adventures, but one of the guys was sacrificing entity or people to turn them into gricks or glicks i i forget how it's pronounced and i'm like okay that's that's fun and that's interesting but like i want there to be a big weird monster at the end so i ended up having this just because this guy had like made a pact with an eldritch demon and i'm like all right cool i want to see something weird there that the players haven't seen before so it was this just writhing mass of tentacles kind of centered around almost a rip in reality that had a long neck and a sunken face in the center with three eyes and it would lorp out like a black goo and if you the black goo got on you it had effects of crown of madness so you would just if you were near anyone you would just automatically attack them now the players ended up figuring out the technique for killing the monster before it actually got to do all that much but i i really liked that monster I, I thought that really kind of was a lot of fun and like it was going to be a fun encounter it's just my players were too darn effective at taking it down before I had a chance to do anything
0: <laughs> that's a common problem
1: and, and you know what it it, it it is but if your players solve a situation before you got the chance to do the cool thing just take that cool thing and slide it into another encounter it's fine my players are one... sure as heck gonna fight you know a creature that can you know Cast Crown of Madness on them and they're going to have to think about placement and it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, you just killed the the, the little one. There's a bigger one.
1: Oh, yeah, th- that's also <laughs> just one of those. It's like, oh, you. so long as they didn't, you know, work really hard and come up with a clever plan to Alpha Strike and take out your little one. I'm absolutely fine with just, oh, shit, I really, really underestimated your lethability. I'm going to add in another encounter here.
0: Do you have any favorite monsters or monster types that you like to use for Halloween games?
1: Dead are fun, but I, I tend to like aberrations because they're weird and they're out there. But like, I because again, if, if I want a monster, I want it to be monstrous. I want it to be something that players haven't encountered before. And that's always my goal with making a monster is not necessarily something that is entirely unique, but something that I know my players have not encountered before. And and in that, I actually, one of my favorite books that I use for this is actually a non, well, it's called the Encyclopedia of Things That Never Were. And it's this just really interesting encyclopedia of all of these weird monsters and creatures and everything from different mythologies and religions across the world and it's the as they would have been in that world that's how they're written and it's just like there are so many cool things you can learn so much and just like come up with really clever ideas for things like they talk about dragons at one point and the whole and they talk a bit about dragons, but the big thing is that you can steal dragon teeth and plant them in the ground, and that does something. And, like, what a wonderful thing to have of just, like, oh, we've killed a dragon. We'll rip out their teeth. We can use them in a ritual. Like, that's just fun. And I, I wish more monsters in d d kind of had that sort of thing. One of my favorite homemade monsters, I, I made an animatic about this one, like, three years ago, is the animated spellbook which I also based off of one of my favorite YouTube channels where it's just this spell book that flies around and it can cast one first or second level spell at will at the party. And my suggestion there is do not give all of them shatter. It will be a very, a very boring and very (laughs) quick encounter. If all of them can just cast shatter once per round, you want them to have like enlarge, reduce levitate Crown of Madness, not necessarily the like really efficient spells, but the ones that, you know, make for interesting encounters. And part of it is anytime you manage to kill one of those books, it's reduced to ash and drops a scroll of the spell it knew. So, like, what an interesting thing. It's like, oh my God, this horrible monster kept casting Witchbolt at us. Oh, we have a scroll of Witchbolt now.
0: That is cool. It's like a, a weird take on a magic item
1: exactly and 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 i kind of i always saw this as kind of like a cursed magic item come to life which oh man now that i've said that aloud that's going to be the next weird (laughs) encounter it's just a bunch of magic items that have come come to life derek derek if you're listening to this forget that i said that these are not going to be mimics these are going to be like oh no this is an immovable rod that hates you
0: you don't want to anger a a flock of immovable rods that could End poorly
1: oh my god but, but just think <laughs> about how how clever you would have to be and and how many like how you would have to think through that encounter especially just quickly on the fly to to, to have to solve something like that like you, you just oh man wow all right yeah i'm gonna get writing on that one i love talking to you brock we, we, we just again sparking creativity
0: oh it's so much fun it makes me want to pull out some random tables here in a little bit we could probably do that.
1: Do we want to make a monster on the fly here?
0: I think we should. All right. Or uh, maybe an encounter with a monster baked in.
1: All right, Let yeah, let's do it.
0: Let me pull up. There it is. Do you have some dice by chance?
1: Oh, d not by chance, by design.
0: All right, so we will... I love the sound effects.
1: Oh, yes, of course. Foley work is incredibly important.
0: Give me... So... I have a series of random tables here and I will just ask I will just ask for some d12 rolls and I will tell you I will tell you what they give me and then we will come up with the encounter.
1: All right, I love it.
0: So, give me your first roll. 4. 4 is a natural feature, so this is likely where the encounter will take place. Give me another roll. Okay. 6. 6 is a terrain change and then give me one more. Twelve. Twelve. So a rise or a peak in the distance. So there's some, so you're kind of in between areas and there is a peak that we can see.
1: Okay. So my my immediate thought for this encounter would be, okay, so you've you've got a natural feature, a peak, and a change in terrain. It's a hill that you're walking up, but it's clearly going down like you're 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 dealing with some non-euclidean geometry and so basically anything that you're throwing up is going down anything you're throwing down is going up you're inherent you're inherently going to have a disadvantage on all ranged attacks be they spell or just like a a general arrow or thrown weapon what else what else we want there I, 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 want a, I want a waterfall there that's going to do something strange. And then you're going to have, obviously, a couple of creatures that have become accustomed to that sort of environment. So they're not going to have those disadvantages, and they're going to find ways to use that to their advantage. However, once players can figure out this sort of thing, and they can talk about how like, well, I want to change how I'm aiming, and if they manage, if players are able to hit a monster three times in a row they instead have advantage on all of their attacks
0: because they figured out the weird geometry gravity okay i like it do we want to roll a creature up and see what type of creature might live here
1: oh absolutely
0: all right so give me another roll
1: another 12
0: 12
1: is a
0: monster give me so yeah give me two more rolls and that'll Zero us in on what type of monster this is.
1: That is an 11. So That's a legendary,
0: ten. a legendary beast plus dragon. Okay. Any, we can roll to figure out what type of beast, or if you have one coming
1: to oh, mind, no, you absolutely. can also run a 50. beast.
0: Okay, so give me another one. Seven. Or another. So it's an earthbound animal. Give me one more. Six. A boar or pig.
1: Okay, so a boar, dragon, pig. That's legendary. My immediate thought is this is something that burrows into the ground. I know pigs don't dig traditionally like that, but we're going with because it's an earth pig. But what the players can eventually figure out is the pig isn't burrowing into the ground, it's becoming part of the ground. So if you can figure out a spell that will affect the earth, that will deal horrifying damage to it. Like if the pig has gone into the ground, you could hold an action to do mold earth, and just like fling it into the air. And because geometry is already weird here, that is gonna cause max fall damage to the creature. Basically, anytime that the players can do something that can affect the earth itself, that's how you defeat this. Also, once you kill this creature, because again, we're going legendary, the geometry reverts back to its normal way. However, once you do that, you notice that like, a lot of the trees start bending and cracking under their own weight because they have become so used to this thing. So now you have the whole thing of like, oh no, this was kind of awful, but like, we've really fucked up this environment by, you know, changing this thing, by getting rid of this thing. Are we the real monsters? Well, no, the pig monster was clearly the real monster in attacked or entering its territory.
0: I feel like there should also be, like, hallucinogenic truffles or something in oh the area. Oh my god,
1: yes, that's even better. <laughs> yes, yes. You can, eat, you can definitely find hallucinogenic truffles that enable you to see the world correctly in this twisted state. However, taking them outside of that starts to affect your own personal gravity.
0: Oh, that could be interesting, actually, as like, a, you know, if they harvest a handful of those you know they'd be beneficial in this area but you can almost use them as like a a poison or something to really mess with somebody outside of that area
1: outside of the territory it casts a levitation on you and causes you disadvantage on your attack rolls I love it oh my god because again like that's really like again that's really fun players could really find a way to mess with that and like Oh my God, how would how would you end up using that? I, I can think of like a dozen encounters I've been in where if I was able to, you know, poison a creature and it's like, oh no, I'm floating away and I'm having trouble attacking. Oh man, you could really jank up some encounters that way. That'd be really fun. And if
0: they're, you know, harvested truffles, I mean, you could give them a handful, but eventually they're going to use all of them up. So it's not
1: yeah, it, it's it, not like
0: you're permanently giving them something
1: Exactly. I'm a fan of the temporary magic items that, you know, you use it an X number of times and then it's gone that, like, really mess with things. Just because, like, if, if players become too accustomed to being able to mess with things like that, they you know they they just get used to it and it becomes the default response because it's just the best response now you do have players that will you know see something like that and hoard these truffles until the very end of the game and then once they've you know succeeded been like oh man we didn't we didn't use those truffles quick poison the king (laughs) poison the king in the epilogue joe can't punish us now i'm like oh i guess the king you just you really poisoned the king and he floated into the sun oh man that was a weird thing to happen. No one suspects <laughs> you, you're the heroes.
0: Yeah, world domination plan all coming together.
1: Well, I mean, if it's the epilogue, yeah, the players should, if it's the epilogue and you're not gonna continue on with the story, the players should end up like with big important things at the end. I, I remember one of my favorite epilogues involved You know, after this, in this horrible post-apocalyptic, the one I mentioned earlier where the the fuck fascist, they ended up with their adopted, the two players adopted son donning power armor and basically becoming Batman at the end. And I'm like, what a beautiful ending to that story. It's He took on his mother, his adopted mother's name, the Raven, and is just running around fighting crime as in power armor.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Well that that random encounter was definitely fun and very weird. So feel free to steal that for your holiday games.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and just I don't know, I, I recommend if you're if you're building your encounters, try and take like a fun thing that you kind of want to have happen in it. You don't I don't always feel like encounters need to be deadly. They should be insane. One of my favorites, and this might have been around Halloween, I don't remember, it was a murder mystery that ended up with the players in a sort of like dilapidated house. I, I was really inspired by the "Turn Down for what music video where they're dancing and constantly crashing through the floors. It was just like, I, I saw that music video and was like, I want to make an encounter about that. And at the end, it was the players tracking down some warlocks who were fighting them through the things. And if you dealt more than 10 damage to any particular person, they reflex save to see if they would fall through. And then one of the players rolled for freaking random loot and got a rod of wonder. So there was also an elephant <laughs> running around at the bottom of the building tearing it apart. One of my favorite encounters I've gotten to run. And just, I don't know, I I know it's it's such a silly bit of advice, but be inspired by things. Look at weird art or whatever and be like i want to figure out how to make that work in an rpg and then just like start pulling apart mechanics until you can make it work and i don't know sometimes it ends up being like you have to come up with really contrived scenarios to have these things work but like here's the thing if you've come up with a weird contrived scenario but it's a lot of fun your players aren't going to care that you've come up with a weird contrived scenario
0: they just put them through the ringer
1: exactly like it's just (laughs) These are supposed to be fun and they're silly and everything and kind of on Halloween. Well, on themed games, it is not the season for it. And I feel bad bringing up, but I've run a couple of Christmas games. I remember the one mechanic was that you got like a big bonus to your check if you spoke in rhyming couplets. And that was very silly, but like the players really enjoyed that. And it's just like, oh, no, I have to attack this monster. I better figure out a way to make that a rhyming couplet because it's going to really matter if this succeeds or not. That's
0: funny. What what types of, so so on the Christmas subject, what type of, I guess, sessions did you have or what were like some of the goals of some of those sessions?
1: Oh, God. I, it was like the Krampus had come back and was tearing apart things. And that, that one was a weird one because I, I had kind of come up with my own system It was loosely based off of the Ghostbusters RPG and everyone was playing themselves and it was just like survive the Krampus attack. But then they had to go to New York for some reason. I don't remember why. (laughs) It was a little too long, but they ended up having to save Christmas by killing demons. I'm not going to say I was always good at this. I I, I will say that my games are always, the theming is good. I'm not going to say they're always good games. When you experiment, sometimes things go horribly, horribly wrong.
0: But did the players have fun? The
1: players had a lot of fun. I will rectify that. Three of the four players had a lot of fun, and the other one was deeply confused. I'll take that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that still counts, right? It
1: still counts.
0: Joe is there anything else you would like to talk about as far as holiday themed games go
1: No that that's kind of that's kind of my big thing basically I'll I'll put this to a challenge to to your readers I've never been able to come our listeners I've never been able to come up with an Easter themed game I, I it just it has eluded me if you've come up with a clever idea put it in the comments
0: Oh, yes, I would like to see those.
1: I mean, if you're listening on YouTube, you're on Spotify too, I think so.
0: Yeah, pretty much all the podcast platforms.
1: Okay, I don't know how many of them you can leave comments. Come to the YouTube video, leave it on for the entire time, and then leave a comment.
0: Awesome, Joe. It's been a blast talking to you.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Why don't you go ahead and plug yourself and where we can find you and what you're up to.
1: All right, so my name is Joseph Kira. I have a YouTube channel called Is It Worth a Sandwich where my roommate and I compare sandwiches to video games and tell you which one is the better deal. On that channel, I also do the occasional TTRPG advice animatic. I'm on Twitter at WorthAsandwich, and I am currently writing a tabletop role playing game called Children with Wands. That is, again, I as you can kind of tell here, I like deconstructing things. The basic pitch of the game is you are children who have just come into your magic powers, and as such, you're not very good at casting spells yet. For you cast a spell, you roll a d20. I didn't roll, I rolled that on my mouse pad. I'm going to do that again. You. Roll a d20, and the number determines how strong your spell is, not how well you've cast it. It is a game about solving environmental problems and learning to deal with the consequences of your actions. It's, it's a really fun game. I'm really looking forward to it. I was hoping to have it done by now, but guys, editing editing is really hard. I thought the writing of the game would be the hard part, and I was entirely wrong. But That's,
0: That is some good information for aspiring writers.
1: But well, I'll actually just say this. Very soon, childrenwithwands.com will be up. I will be doing a Kickstarter for this. But if the basic premise of what I've told you is an interesting idea, go to childrenwithwands.com and you can find a link to the playtest material. This will just kick me in the butt to make sure I actually finish this website before this episode comes up.
0: Perfect. Well, Joe, it was a blast talking to you.
1: It was, it was really fun being back on.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.